0: We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God.
1: How to love. All right, very good. My name is Chris Fluitt, and you are here at Redemption Church. Thank you for everybody worshiping with us in person, and thank you everybody online. We don't know how you found us, but we're so glad you did. Praise God. We want to meet you in person one of these days. The world knows to love every movie, every book, every song, everything popular in our culture carries the message that life is better with love. And that's absolutely true. The Beatles, anybody heard of that obscure little band, right? The Beatles, who changed what it meant to be a rock and roll band, recorded these very beautiful lyrics and harmony in their abbey stu- abbey road studio recording they they wrote they sang these words and in the end the love you take anybody know it is equal to the love you make right these words were actually the very last words that paul ringo george and john would ever sing together in the studio. These were the very last words. One more time. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. And it's got this beautiful finish. It's just absolutely beautiful. It's one of my favorite Beatles moments. And would you know it, it's the last Beatles moment ever in a studio. This was the final track of their Beatles career, and it makes this beautiful message of how much we need to love. Ironically, this was their final track because they no longer loved each other. And we're now beginning to just utterly detest and hate one
0: another. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. The world
1: knows to love, but the world lacks the understanding of how to Love. Last week, we talked about a love that excitedly works, that is boiling hot spiritually, and serves the Lord. I encourage you to find that message on our Redemption Church podcast. It's all over the internet. It's a big one. <laughs> In this series, we have been focusing on a passage of Scripture. It's found in Romans chapter 12. Let's read this together. Romans 12 and 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor
0: serving the Lord. All right. So. There is. Problem. Let's uh, read verse twelve. Verse twelve, is that up? You have it. Verse twelve. Thank you. It's uh chapter twelve, verse twelve, Romans chapter twelve. You have that. Share with the Lord's people. That's verse thirteen.
1: Hey, buddy, can you you have the printout of the words? of my script there can you bring that to me we're going to just do this this
0: old fashioned way thank you so much thanks to the went off thank you very much excellent take this again romans chapter 12 verse 12 Says these words, Be
1: joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Now, verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Our prayer for this series is real simple Lord, teach us how to love. We have need to be taught, but we also have need to be untaught. The world has led us to believe false things about love. So each week we're talking about some of those false things and we're talking about how the world teaches and how God teaches. Here's how the world teaches it. The world teaches you never content. The world teaches us to never be content or happy with anything. We are taught to be restless in pursuing what we perceive to be better. John D. Rockefeller. He was asked one day, how much money does it take for a man to be happy? His answer for that was one more dollar. The answer for being happy is one more dollar. This teaching to never be content has led people to strange places. We are never happy with what we have. We always need one more dollar. We've seen famous, wealthy, well thought of, and attractive people end their lives. And we're all mystified at how they could have done such a thing. We are blown away when we see Hall of Fame athletes like Junior Sayout, Academy Award winners like Robin Williams commit suicide. And everybody is asking, why? Why do you think they would have done such a thing? Now, at the risk, of oversimplifying tragedy, I I still need to say something. Here it is. I don't believe they were content. I I believe on the day of their suicide, they felt a lack of contentment. They felt a lack of happiness. They surely felt a lack of joy. They surely felt more of a burden of life. A lot of the people that uh, commit suicide, one of the things, or are contemplating suicide they just talk about it just feels like life is such a heavy burden i guarantee you on the day that they ended their life they felt that their life was too much of a hardship it was too much of a burden it was more of a burden than it was a blessing they felt like their life was no longer worth living and this surprises us we say it surprises us yet i would argue with you today that we live very much the same way often that we allow burdens to just fall on us, that we don't live lives of blessing. And we live definitely a life where we are never content because that's what the world teaches us. If you can't celebrate your success, some people have trouble celebrating success, but you immediately turn from what should be a successful a celebration instead you turn and immediately force yourself back to the grind of reaching for something better you are following the world's teaching of discontentment if you are not content with the blessings that you already have in your hand somebody say in your hand i'm talking about your house i'm talking about your car i'm talking about your cell phone i'm talking about even your relationship if you don't If you're not content with the blessings already in hand, you will seek to trade things in for the latest and greatest model. And you will exhaust yourself by always reaching for greater when you have enough in your hand to be happy and content right now. Perhaps you suffer from the fear of missing out. Doesn't matter what fun you're having right now. There is probably someone else that's having more fun than you, and I am probably missing out. Some people are even in church right now, thinking, "My gosh, I'm at church," but you know, there's probably that my friends were going to do those other things, and I'm probably missing out right now. Or you could even you could even be with a drop dead gorgeous. Girl, guys, I'm telling you, you could be with somebody, but have your mind somewhere else, and it would rob you from the moment that you're in right now because people have the fear of missing out. What is this? This is discontentment. This is the teaching of the world. The endless pursuit of life often ends in an early grade. The world teaches you never content, but here's what God teaches you it teaches you ever joyful. In hope. God's word over and over teaches us to be content. God commands us to live in joy and happiness with continual rejoicing. All over your Bible, it says that Christians should be full of joy. Are you a Christian? Are you full of joy? Christians should be full of joy. The happiest people in life ought to be a child of God. I got this story I've always loved to tell. Is uh, we we're at a at a uh, Golden Corral there in Waco, Texas, and I'm sitting there and I see a person that I I know the church they go to, and I and I see them right over there, and um, I'm I'm going all oh, right. I I you by the way they dressed, by the way they carried themselves, you knew immediately what kind of church they went to. Anybody kind of know what I'm talking about? Religion could be like that, and uh, my dad. Notices them after me. And he says, oh, I think that person over there goes to such and such church. And I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. Y'all forgive me. Y'all don't judge me. But I said, how can you tell? Was it because they weren't smiling? Dangerous, but worth it. It was so funny. But, but, But there is a problem that you can tell somebody's a Christian sometimes by the anger they've got. By the judgmentalism they've got. By the way they always read you the, why, the, the, the riot act. They say, let me tell you everything you're doing wrong. And that's the world's concept of a Christian. That is not the biblical concept of a Christian. That is not what it means to be a follower of Christ. Christians should be full of joy. Are you a Christian? Then you should be full of joy. Well, I would be if I had something to be happy about. You might be thinking that today. Well, the scripture said in verse 12, it said, be joyful in hope. Joyful in what? Hope. If you are only joyful when you get the promotion or the pay raise, and those are the only times you are ever joyful, you're not going to be joyful very often. Is that right? Even if you got a pay raise once a year, you'd only be happy once a year if you're only happy when you feel and look your best and receive glowing compliments you will not always be happy bad hair days do happen to us all Ron to us all Ron all of us if you only rejoice after your team has won the championship you may never be happy again Cowboys fans. Has it really been 28 years since we were able to beat our chest and say, How about them cowboys? It has been way too long. If you are joyful only over circumstance, then your life will often lack joy. If the world has to get in perfect alignment, here's the sun, here's the earth, here's the moon, and there's Saturn, and there's Venus, and they they all line up, and that's what it takes. For you to be happy, right? That has as much uh, ha- potential of happening regularly as you and your spouse and your children. And there's no bills in the in the in the mailbox, and and all of that is really great. All that stuff lining up is really hard, and it's really rare. If it takes all of that, if it takes a miracle of everybody in your house being perfect for you to be happy. You're not going to be joyful very often. Can I get an amen on that. Amen. Yet God commands us to be constantly joyful, but to be joyful in what? Somebody help me? Joyful in what? Say it one more time. Even one more time, a little louder. Hope, very good. Perhaps you're following the lesson of the world, and you are very rarely content. Maybe never content. Perhaps you're only joyful. For fleeting moments, I invite you today to become consistently joyful in hope. There is a love that is joyful in hope. You might hate the word hope because it has let you down in the past. Anybody here? Anybody ever feel that way? Well, I really hoped, right? As a child, I hoped my parents would not follow through with the divorce, but they did. You may... You may have hoped to, to see healing, but, but, you, but you attended a funeral instead. You, you, you hoped for a, to be a better person, but you're still the same person looking back at you in the mirror. And you have failed time and time again. I want to tell you real quick, it matters where you place your hope. You don't just need hope. You need hope in the right thing. Psalm chapter 20 verse 7 says this. Some hope in chariots. And some in horses. But we hope in the name of the Lord our God. First Peter 1 and 3 says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You can have a, a terrible day. But still have joy in your heart. Because you are joyful in hope. You can be joyful in hoping a lot of things. You can be hopeful that you're going to have a better day tomorrow. Some days are just that way. Some days are not so good. I had several of those days this last week. And I just had to hope. Well, I hope tomorrow is better. Tomorrow wasn't always better. But my hope was there nonetheless. (laughs) Well, I hope tomorrow's tomorrow Will be better than yesterday's yesterday. And eventually we're here because I'm here and you're here and God's here. And so I'm very hopeful. You can be hopeful this way, even though your, your job is terrible. You can be hopeful that you get to leave work and you get to see the people you love and you get to sit around a table and eat with them and talk with them. You can you can hope uh for for so many things, God, uh, God's promises are true, and one day we're going to be in heaven, and I hope to be there, and all my hope is going to to come on me in in that day, absolutely. And when you think about that hope, it makes all your difficulties today seem a lot smaller. You can hope in a living hope. Why? Because the person you're hoping in. Is alive. His name is Jesus, and he is alive. We have a hope that lives, a hope that is resurrected and lives forevermore. No matter what is going on wrong in the world, we have a living hope. Here's how to love learn to be joyful and be joyful in hope. Next thing the world teaches us wrong is this the world teaches us never patient. Somebody say never patient. Now, I have never seen, I promise you all this, I promise you, I have never seen Fifty Shades of Grey. I've never seen that movie. But I imagine, he says sarcastically from the pulpit, I imagine it is a sweet romantic tale of two people who decide to patiently build a life of trust and love together. And since none of us even know the plot of such a story, We will just assume that Hollywood has given us yet another message of patience being a vital component to love. Somebody shake your head if you know that's not true. That is is not true at all. We know that is not true. The world lacks patience, right? And all of y'all are doing a really good job of acting like y'all have no idea what the plot of that show is. I see y'all. I see y'all. We have been yelled at by the boss. Anybody been yelled at by the boss? Not because we were slacking off, but because the boss lacked patience for the time required to do the job. Somebody say, that's right, pastor. My gosh. Our mothers have been called terrible, horrible things as we drive on I-75. Not because we weren't driving the speed limit, but because the guy who is two centimeters behind us on our bumper lacks patience. He's like, you should be going 95. I hate to say it, but as your pastor, I need to tell you that someone has been talking bad about you in church. In this very church, I gotta tell, I'm just gonna be honest with you as your pastor, I'm gonna tell you, somebody's been talking bad about you. They have been ridiculing your intelligence and your ability. They have been tearing down your accomplishments and yelling all about your failures. They tell everybody about your failures. And although you've been trying to get in shape and get back to that previous size jeans, this person in this church, I'm telling you, has been calling you a fat slob. I'm really sorry about it. What should we do about such a person? Should such a person be allowed in our church? Well, I hope you think that they should be allowed in this church because you are that person. You've been saying those things about yourself. You've been thinking those things about yourself. You see, nobody in this church is talking bad about you like you talk bad about You, because you lack patience with yourself. Sometimes we're better at giving patiently to other people than we are to our own self. You talk to yourself in a way that you would never talk to anybody else. And you know that's true. You receive that right now. There's some people in this house. You would never say the terrible things that you say to yourself To someone else. Can I tell you something? Stop talking bad about my friend. You're my friend. I'm not going to put up with it. Don't do it. It's really true that we are most unloving to ourselves. We are most impatient with ourselves. The world's lesson on love never includes patience. But God, what is his lesson? Here it is. God teaches us to be ever patient in affliction. I told you last week how God once told me I didn't have a patience problem. I have a what problem? Do you remember? A love problem. I don't have a patience problem. I have a love problem. And as I looked in the Bible, I found out that God once again was absolutely right. It's like two times in a row, God. You're doing so good. Now, God's always right. The the first defining... Word for love in that love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, is this love is patient. Somebody say these words, give me a break. Somebody say, cut me some slack.
0: Somebody say, get off my back. Hmm. You need to say that to your own self.
1: You need to give yourself ever bit more slack. You need to be more patient with yourself. I want to tell you, love does it better. Love patiently waits. Love gives grace. Love gives space. What does our scripture say? It says, patient in affliction. God teaches us to love patiently, even in the worst condition. Patient in what? Affliction. I know this about me. This is what I know about me. I'll tell on myself here. It is. I can be very patient during a massage. I can be very patient as I tarry on a beachside lounge chair in sublime weather. That's true. Yep. And I can amaze you with my patience as I eat a generously provided saltgrass borderhouse steaks. In fact. My patience will last, will last very long if you'll just keep the stakes coming my way. It is easy to be patient in positive conditions, right? My gosh, keep those compliments coming. I'm so patiently listening to all those wonderful things you're saying. Yet God teaches us how to be patient in affliction. He teaches us to continue to love in pain and in heartache, in persecution, in hardship. The people of Ukraine, the country of the Ukraine, are they in affliction right now? Oh, absolutely. But for love of country and for love of brotherhood, would you say that those people are patient? I'd say so. They patiently fight for each other. Have you seen the pictures of grandmothers holding cardboard guns, willing to fight, even with a cardboard gun? That is some patient love there. They patiently pray with each other. You can find amazing pictures of people in subways, kneeling, praying together. People in dark rooms with just but a candle, and they are praying together. People laying hands on each other, praying each other, patiently feeding each other, caring for each other. Those that are hurt, they're being patiently bound up in care by brothers and sisters in that country. Way to go, Ukraine. We stand with you. We pray for you. With no sign of help on the way,
0: fine. they remain patient in the affliction. Ukraine is showing us how to love.
1: We live in a culture where the advice is often, you're too patient. You ever hear somebody say that? You're just too patient. I'd have told them off by now. I would have done that already. You're too patient. Or what What about this one? You need to quit. You just need to quit, girl, already. You just need to do that. You need to go just find someone better. These are these are the things that, that, that you you say to your friends. These are the things that friends are talking about because it's the culture. That's what the culture is always telling us about. Yet God teaches us to love patiently. And not just in the good times. But in affliction. The world has another lesson that we need to be untaught today. And it's a two-part lesson. The world teaches us to be faithful too, And I, I put a blank there because I've got two things to put in that blank here. here there are two versions. Here is the first version. The world teaches us to be faithful to yourself. You'll kind of nod on that if you all agree with that. Good. I'm, oh, yeah. The world often teaches us to be self-centered. Not a surprise. It used to be a pillar in our community to only separate in extreme situations of harm and abuse. But today, you are encouraged to separate simply because you feel tired feel tired, it's a wonder anybody stays married. If you got a kid, I guarantee you, you feel tired. If you're a married couple and you're still together after having a kid, you are the minority. Congrats to you. You're a miracle. The world tells you, you're tired, so you should just go ahead and separate. Or how about this this phrase you hear a lot? We've grown apart very good it makes me want to scream have you tried growing back together again if you can grow apart i imagine you could grow back together again you might try that or this one people change y'all knew it people change you know what doesn't change i'll grant you people do change but you know what doesn't change faithfulness. It's like built in the word. Guess what? Hope doesn't have to change. And patience doesn't have to change. All the love qualities that we have shared together in this one verse, none of them ever have to change. I just want something different is another one. I just want something different. Now, now hold on. Are we talking about what fast food place we're going to choose? because that's usually how what the what a phrase i would say i want something different from tacos tonight no we had pizza last night i want something different we're not talking about fast food here right we're not talking about where we're going to eat we're talking about a holy covenantal relationship before god you you don't say yes god for the rest of my life i commit and then tomorrow say you know I just want something different, and that doesn't work. Being faithful to yourself is often code for being faithless to your commitment. You have this commitment; you need to be faithful to it. You know, you know. I'm just going to be. I'm going to be real with myself. I'm going to be faithful to me. That is code for you giving up on something you've already committed to. You shouldn't do it. We have. We may have reached the point where we are more faithful to our entertainment fantasy worlds than we are to our real lives. Don't believe me yet? Maybe you will. I know people who stick with the show even though they now hate it. In fact, they'll talk about the show like this. So they'll say, you know, that show was really good in season one was really good in season two. About the midway point of season three, I started to hate the show. Season four, it was awful. Season five, it was basically unwatchable. Season six, what am I doing with my life? Season seven, someone help me. Season eight, I got a problem. What am I doing still watching this show? But they keep watching this show. They are so faithful to this show that they now, hey, it's been like six seasons since they've even enjoyed it. But it's Thursday night. Here we are.
0: Grey's Anatomy. Sorry, babe. Pray for me, guys. All right. I'll give you a point. I'll give you a
1: good example, not Grey's Anatomy, which is a solid show in every way. You can check the stats of a show called Game of Thrones. And the last season, the last actually two seasons, the viewer satisfaction stats on that show plummeted. They went like, all the way down, like terrible. And if you went on the internet, you were going to be inundated with people complaining about every little plot decision in the show. Why did they do this with this character? I hate what they're doing to the show. Why this is my show. Don't destroy my show. These are the things that are happening. Yet, you know what remained absolutely consistent? The viewership never tanked. The viewership never went down. Everyone was now fighting angry about the show. They were like, I will find those producers and the directors of these episodes and the writers and I will rain down pain on them. They were ready for violence, but they weren't ready to change the channel. They watched every last painful, dissatisfactory moment all the way up to the very end. I want to tell you, we may have reached a point where we are more willing to faithfully stand by fictional characters than our own flesh and blood relationships, my goodness, I know people that didn't have the faithfulness that with their spouse that they had with the stark clan in the game of Thrones. I want to tell you be be faithful to yourself is one of the lessons the world teaches. The other one you can probably guess here it comes: be faithful to. Your partner now, this one seems good on the cover. I'm not telling you to be faithless to your partner. That's not where we're going with this, but I want to tell you being if if the world's teaching to be faithful to your partner, it falls short so to to help you know this, I'm going to take the words of a famous prophetess, maybe surely you know her uh she says, and I quote, sometimes it's hard to be. A woman, giving all your love to just one man. You'll have bad times, and he'll have good times, doing things that you don't understand. But if you love him, you'll forgive him, even though he's hard to understand. And if you love him, oh, be proud of him, because after all, he's just a man. Can anybody name this? artist, prophetess, what's her name? Tammy, prophetess Tammy Wynette. And here is the part everybody has heard. Stand by your man. Give him two arms to cling to, right? And something warm to come to when nights are cold and lonely. The world teaches us one extreme of faithlessness. And then on the other side, they teach us To stand by those who have no intention of ever being faithful to you. Those are crazy, wide apart extremes. I want to tell you neither extreme is in God's plan. Neither extreme is how God has drawn it up. Neither extreme is how to love. They both are wrong. Divorce is not in God's plan. I want to tell you that. Divorce is not what God wants for your marriage. But neither is abuse. Neither is infidelity. God's plan is a covenant. God's plan is a partnership. God's plan is mutual love. And faithfulness one to another. So let me tell you. If your marriage lacks covenant. You need to do some work. You need to do some work. And if. You refuse to do that work. That is the only time you should talk about divorce. That's the only time divorce should be brought out and put on the table. Only when we refuse to live in covenant. When we refuse to not abuse one another. That is the only time we should ever talk about divorce. Let's look back at the word uh, to see what God teaches us. In verse 12 it says, be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction and be faithful in prayer. Faithful in prayer. That that is what God teaches us. God teaches us to be faithful in prayer. Instead of being faithful to self, be faithful in prayer. You know why? Prayer sacrifices selfishness. If you're selfish, you need to pray, it'll help you end that selfishness. Instead of being faithful to a faithless and abusive marriage, be faithful in prayer. Prayer can change your heart, and it can change the heart of your spouse. You see how prayer is the answer. Prayer is the answer to all these things. It is the answer. If you, y'all believe that? I believe that with all my heart. Prayer really is the answer. If you have trouble uh, stopping your abusive actions, you need to pray. If you have trouble forgiving someone, you need to pray. If you're having trouble loving someone, you need to pray. Pray, prayer really is that answer. So be faithful in prayer. If you are faithful in prayer, you'll be more faithful to God. As we have seen our culture just absolutely crash and burn, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean, as we have seen suicides divorces, and medication abuse rise, we have seen prayer plummet. I believe there is causation there. (laughs) I believe that these things are related. The easy one to point to is what's always talked about in church is prayer in school. Right? It's been a political talking point many times. Now, while I strongly believe in this issue, what really we ought to talk about is this, prayer in homes, prayer in homes. Can I tell you, Christians, don't yell about prayer in public schools if you don't pray in your home. The preacher preached. That was good. Y'all might not have enjoyed that, but that was good. Christians, are we faithful in prayer? We had a first Tuesday worship and prayer meeting this last week. I would like like to tell you that it was greatly largely attended, but the truth is we have far less attendance at our prayer and worship night than we do at our connect groups other weeks. Are we faithful in prayer? We advertise that we will talk to God at the end of every service. Isn't that the, the third thing? Somebody tell me the third thing. Everyone talks to God. I mean, we celebrate that. If you haven't heard that, we need to pray for your hearing. We have all heard it. We we know it. Yet I know as a pastor that although we we offer this time, not all members of this church are faithful to it. Some people walk into this church with their problems and they walk right back out of this place with their problems, never having prayed. A word can go forth that hits you right in the heart, and you can go, wow. Wow, that really hit me really close. Wow, that's amazing. And somehow you don't end up in this altar. I've seen it time and time again. Are we faithful in prayer? I would tell
0: you that is not being faithful
1: in prayer. You want to know how to love? Here it is. Be faithful in prayer. That's a part of it. Be faithful in prayer. You're having trouble with your love? Be faithful in prayer. Prayer is one of the most loving things you can do for someone. Prayer changes your stony, unforgiving heart to a life-giving spring well of forgiveness. Prayer for your enemies, it blesses them, it rescues them, and it even changes them. Prayer for your enemies, it also blesses you, rescues you, and it always changes you. Having marriage problems, pray. Pray together if at all possible Thinking about divorce. Pray. Having problems with your kids. Pray. Having problems with your friends. Pray. Now here's the deal. I will tell you this. It is absolutely perfectly fine for you to go seek counsel. For you to go to a psychiatrist. It is perfectly fine for you to look into medicational avenues and all those things. That is perfectly fine. But as a Christian... You're supposed to be faithful in prayer. I would tell you, you should, your first call should not be to the psychiatrist, but it should be to God. You should pray first. You should be faithful in it. And even as you've prayed and not seen the answer, so now you go to the psychiatrist, you're still faithful in prayer. You don't go, well, I'm not going to try that anymore. No, you're going to continue to pray. Listen, the person you've been praying for and you've not seen an answer, you've not seen a change, keep praying because that's being faithful. Christians, be faithful in prayer. Scripture says to pray, how often? Continually make sure that you are faithful in prayer. Let me ask you, have you been faithful? This is a lesson on how to love. But God gives us more than a lesson from a dry, old textbook. God demonstrates his love for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Can we read this out loud, everyone? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You want to know what love looks like? It looks like Jesus Christ on the cross. The greatest demonstration of love is exactly that. If you want to know how to love, then you should look at the cross. So in the closing moments of this sermon tonight, I want us to compare our lesson in light of the cross. Remember, the world teaches you never content. Don't ever be content. Was the love of Jesus content? Did we see Jesus avoid
0: the path that would lead him to the cross? Or was he content to walk that road to the cross? Oh, he was content, right? Did Jesus chase
1: one more dollar? Or was he content to be numbered among the transgressors and hung as a thief himself upon The cross. Absolutely. Jesus was content. God teaches us to be ever joyful in hope. So. Let's compare that to the cross. We see a joyful Jesus in the gospel. He wasn't joyful because of the pain he would endure. You understand that? He wasn't like, oh, this is going to hurt so good. He doesn't say that. No. He tried to avoid the pain of the cross he prayed he wasn't joyful because of the pain he would endure. Jesus was joyful because of the hope that was on the other side of that pain. Jesus did not place his joy in his own achievement, but he placed his joy in hope. I wish we had a scripture that said that of course
0: we do it 's Hebrew chapter twelve, verse two for the What's that word? For the joy. Set before him. He endured the cross. For the
1: joy. Set before him. He endured the cross. He had the cross right in front of him. But on the other side of the cross. That's where you were. And you are his joy. Seeing you saved. Seeing you forgiven. Seeing you in heaven. A relationship with you. That was his joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You were a sinner, but Jesus hoped you would seek his forgiveness and be with him in paradise. That's exactly how you love. He was was content. He was joyful in hope. The world teaches us to never be patient. Let's compare that to the cross. Was Jesus impatient? Did Jesus have patient love? Love is patient. Does that describe our Jesus? Oh, the world teaches us never patient, but God teaches us that's ever patient in affliction. Was Jesus patient in affliction? I would tell you that no one has ever been more patient in the worst kind of affliction than our Jesus. He was patient as the spikes were driven through peaceful hands, peaceful feet. He was patient as the crown of thorns was crammed down on his head. He was patient as hateful people screamed, haunts at him.
0: He was patient even as he drew his last breath. Don't you know that he is still patient? Patiently waiting for us now. Patiently loves us now. He patiently waits for you to repent now.
1: He shows us how to love so greatly in His patience. The other side of this altar today is the Lord patiently
0: waits to come. Can you be patient? Can you come to? Then you be patient in your affliction. The world
1: teaches us to be faithful to yourself. So, was Jesus faithful to himself on the cross? No, no way he was faithful to himself. The world also teaches you to be faithful to your partner. So, was Jesus faithful to his closest earthly relationships on the cross? Was he, was he faithful? I would tell you Jesus was not actually faithful because Jesus staying on the cross is all that his friends and family did not want him to do. His mother Mary did not want him on that cross. John, Peter, James, they did not want him on that cross. So in this regard, Jesus was not faithful to those partners in what they desired. Jesus did not stand by and watch us all go to hell. He went to the cross. And there he showed us this lesson. He showed us that he was faithful in prayer. He was faithful in prayer. Jesus prayed in the garden. Jesus prayed on the cross. Jesus is faithful in prayer. He prayed for his enemies. He prayed for those he loved even though his actions were not what his family and friends wished, the actions of Jesus were
0: faithful all because he was faithful in prayer. Lord, teach us how to love. I am 100% certain
1: that you feel inadequate in at least one of these three areas we spoke about today. I am very certain that you at least feel inadequate in one of those areas. You may feel absolutely inept in all three areas that we talked about today. So if that's true, will we pray about it? One more time, look at this verse. Joyful in hope, do you have trouble with that? Patient in affliction, do you have trouble with that? Faithful in prayer, do you struggle with that? I am certain that one of these things comes to your mind, that you have trouble with one of the things listed in Romans 12 and 12. So if that's true, come and talk to him today. I want you to take some time and ask God to help you today.
0: Pray this Lord, help me to love. Show me how to love. Help us to love like you.
1: Love dear Jesus. Have you been joyless? It tells you to be joyful in hope. Hope in God. Hope in heaven. Hope in another day with the ones you love. Change your whole mindset. Focus on hope. Have you been impatient in affliction? Have you been wanting to check out to avoid the pain? In love, can you come today even if it is just to ask for strength? Have you been faithful in prayer? This one's a great question to ask you. Because if you've been faithful in prayer, I'm pretty certain I'm going to see you in this altar today. And if you haven't been faithful in prayer, I'm really hopeful to see you in this altar today. Come pray. In love, I want you, I want to pray with you today. These altars are open.
0: For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.